Hello, I'm John Rossi. I'm a touring drummer with a love for all things animal. When I'm on the road, I spend as much time as possible visiting zoos, aquariums, rescues, and rehab facilities. Now, I want to share those places with you. I'll be talking to keepers, vets, conservationists, volunteers, anyone who is as passionate about animals as I am. Join me on my Ross Safari. Hi, hello, how are you? Welcome to the Ross Safari Podcast. Now, you may notice that I usually put a joke in there before I say the title of the uh, show, but I did not do that this time. That is because I just finished a nine-hour rehearsal for the show that I'm opening tomorrow, and I'm too tired to think of a joke. But man, if you've been listening to this at all, you know how excited I am to be back on the stage, back behind the drums, and uh, even doing some singing this time. It's, uh, it's a lot of fun. I'm having a real good time with it. Like I mentioned before, the show is called Great Balls of Fire, and we are playing at the Florida Studio Theater in Sarasota, Florida. So uh, if you happen to be in the area, let me know. Come see a show. We can talk about animals afterwards. Uh, Friends that have met me after um, listening to the podcast a lot always tell me that it's super weird to hear my voice coming out of a body rather than their headphones. Um, So come experience that for yourself. Also, uh, just a kind of nerdy moment here in a different way than we usually have, but um, I don't know if you noticed, but there is a really nice natural reverb on my voice right now. And that is not something that I'm adding, but um, the housing that I'm in for the next two months, basically, has a nice room for this. It sounds all echoey, but not too echoey. And I just, I really like it. So uh, the sound that you are hearing, the slight difference in my voice, if that's the kind of thing that you notice, is because I'm in new housing. And especially once I get back on tour, you may notice a lot of that. Everything's going to sound just a little different as we keep moving from place to place. All right, enough nerding out about the music. Let's talk about today's episode. Today we're sitting down and staying at the Roger Williams Park Zoo in Providence, Rhode Island for our second interview in a row from there. Today, we're not talking to Laura, but we're talking to Lauren Puccia. And uh, Lauren is a swing keeper at the zoo. But more importantly, she's just a really cool, encouraging person. Um, We met when she reached out to talk to me about some early episodes when she discovered the podcast. And uh, we've just stayed in touch and we've stayed friends. And Lauren's the kind of person who just really likes being a positive force in the world. And I think that's awesome. And we talk about that. And we talk about how she uses her social media to try to brighten people's days and help them. Well, well, you'll hear what she has to say. But I just, I love how she puts it. And I love her attitude towards all of that. Don't worry, though. Lauren is a keeper, as I mentioned. And since she's a swing keeper, she gets to work with a ton of different species. And we talk about a lot of that. It's a, it's a pretty fun, freewheeling interview. This is one of those moments where I'm friends with the person, and uh, she's also a fan, so we knew each other. We get each other, and so we just start chatting and then seeing where it goes, and I think it's a lot of fun. And then stay tuned after the interview because I have a cool story to tell you about something that Lauren did for me. And um, if you follow along on Instagram, you already know, but but you're going to want to hear it anyway. And if you don't, what's wrong with you? You should clearly be following at Ross Safari on Instagram and Facebook, at Ross Safari Pod on TikTok, the app I never use. And actually, this is kind of exciting. 
I now have somebody helping me out with my Twitter for the summer. So for all of you out there listening right now, say hello to Jeff, who is my my Twitter helper for the summer. Um, I'm really excited to have him on board. I have not been using the platform at all. And now Jeff is starting to make the Rossafari Twitter active. So if you are on Twitter, go ahead and hit at Rossafari and uh, give a follow. And uh, yay, Twitter. Yay, Jeff. I'm really excited to have you on board. So, okay. Uh, enough of that. Without further ado... Here is my interview with Lauren Puccia, swing keeper at Roger Williams Park Zoo. All right, so uh, you know how this one starts. Tell me uh, who you are, where we are, and what you do here. I'm Lauren Puccia, and uh, we are at Roger Williams Park Zoo. I've been here for just under three years now as a zookeeper. And uh, specifically, what kind of keeper are you? Uh, well, we're all titled the same as zookeepers, but my training uh, since I've been here is as a swing keeper. So I cover anywhere from commissary to African plains, rainforest, and education. Oh, okay, cool. When you said swing, I thought you meant like jazz and blues. I'm, I'm a musician, so that's a that's a that's a nerdy music joke. I mean, there's not all. <laughs> it's not to say that there's not music playing whenever we're out there. <laughs> I, I think some people have this mental image of of keepers interacting with their animals and the music playing. It's like it's like a Disney movie, and and we all know that's not exactly. Uh... <laughs> we do have a keeper here though that does play music constantly and sings with the animals as she's cleaning and everything. So it could be its own musical. I mean, I I would definitely book that show. That works for me. Um, very cool. So you are a a swing keeper, although you have the same title, you know, yeah. of course. Um, and so what exactly does that mean? Uh, it means I can cover a variety of areas and I'm slowly being trained in other ones so that when the primaries are not there, I can help cover the areas efficiently. And so it can fill any gap that's potentially needed. Do you have a favorite area? Uh, oh, not necessarily. I mean, there's an area I haven't been trained in yet that I hope for one day, but we'll see. And what one is that? Uh, I love the Australasia building. I would love to work with the North American River otters and the Binturongs again. I love Bint so much. <laughs> so do I. Australasia is such a weird word, though. Yeah, I get for... it, but like it doesn't roll off the tongue. <laughs> no, it doesn't. But it, it's a nice uh, collection of animals over there. Absolutely. It's a great variety. I actually, so, um, you know, uh, y'all had some Binturong kits two years ago now? <sighs> Sounds about. Right. Yeah. And one of them is currently at Zoo Atlanta. It is. And I got to go say hi to that. She's oh, doing very well. She is very loud, <laughs> uh, very bossy. Her her uh, her mate um her mate is uh you know, put in his place regularly. <laughs> Um, but you can tell that she was raised up right here because that is a woman who knows how to take care of herself. All three of those girls <laughs> definitely were raised well by their mother. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. Um, awesome. So let's uh, let's dial it back for a second and and talk about how you got into this. Uh, I am probably a little different than a lot of zookeepers and how they got started. Yeah, I follow you on Instagram. You're different in a lot of ways. <laughs> <laughs> I hope you mean that in a positive light. Clearly, clearly, I'm interviewing you. So, <laughs> so I so yes, I did always want to work with animals. I knew that from a very young age. I remembered my first paper ever was on beluga whales 
I don't know if it was like second or third grade. I made my parents take me to the New York Aquarium because I am from Long Island. And I got to sit there and just look at the squishiness of them. They're just big marshmallows. <laughs> so I loved doing the report on them. That was really exciting to me. Although I had no desire to actually work with whales because I don't enjoy being cold and wet all the time. Fair, fair. <laughs> so that was one thing I knew when I was younger. Um, now next time I see a beluga, I'm just going to think it's a cold, wet marshmallow. I mean, yeah, that's what it looked like to me. They're adorable with the big, bulby heads. Oh, but... yeah, you're not wrong. You're not wrong. So that kind of started everything for me. We did go to the Bronx Zoo all the time. Um, and just as I started going through school, even up into high school, I actually started gearing more towards conservation and environmental sciences. So then when I was looking at colleges, I looked at everything from zookeep, uh, animal husbandry, I don't even remember the titles of what college degrees they are anymore, to conservation. And I ended up going for wildlife conservation biology. And I went to URI, got, was there, got my degree in Bachelor of Science, and ended up getting a full-time position back on Long Island as a biologist. And so I actually started as a conservation biologist doing a lot of avian bird work on Long Island and started there. That's interesting. Tell me about that for a little bit. What, uh, what kind of conservation work you were doing? Who, you were, who were you working with? Can I speak properly? <laughs> Words are hard sometimes. Uh, so I started as an intern while I was in college doing piping plover work, lease turns, and then also just marsh bird surveys. So we'd go out on the boat, jump off the boat and go onto the island, see what kind of birds were there. We also had our own small hard clam hatchery. Um, so that was in our own marina area. We built the trays. We'd have to seed them with the seed clams and we'd have to snorkel in and make sure there's no blue claws in there because they love those hard clams, especially <laughs> as babies when they're nice and soft and easy. So we would do all of that. And that was mainly from, it would start anywhere from March, April, depending on when the plover showed up until October, I think is when we would put the seed clams out. Uh, so we were out in the water the whole time and the plovers have a place in my heart that I can never uh, let go. There was even um, down in West Virginia, they have a national facility where I even got to go to a big conference there for piping plover work and had people from all over because there is also populations out on the West Coast. And it was just interesting to see all the different work that was going on to protect them because they are an endangered species. They love the shoreline. They love dunes that are always eroding around here. So it's hard to protect them. Plus, people love the same areas they do. So keeping people away from their nests is not easy. Their uh, eggs blend in perfectly with the sand, where even when we're looking for them, we were trained for it. You might not see it until you're practically a couple inches away from it. Wow, that's really interesting. Yes. So let me check, make sure that I understand this. Fell in love with belugas. Realized that you did not want to be wet and cold all the time. Correct. So purposefully went away from animal husbandry and got a degree more towards conservation. Got immediately into the conservation field where you were wet and cold all the time <laughs> and are now doing animal husbandry. Did I did I did I say that right? Yeah. All right. <laughs> that sounds okay. quite right. <laughs> Listen, I didn't think out the whole thing. I got to researching the birds. The part with the hard clams kind of fell into it all, so you get both. <laughs> no, no, no. I'm just picking on you. I just, no, I, absolutely. We never know what path our lives are going to take. And, you know. All I knew is there was going to be animals involved in some way, shape, or form, and I knew I was not going to go to school long enough to become a vet. <laughs> that 
that is something not up my alley. <laughs> I think I need to make like an official theme song for when a person tells me that they loved animals and then realize they can't be a vet. Yeah. Because I think that's 90% of my podcasts. Oh, I knew that from the get-go also. I was never a child that enjoyed school. Right. Like I went because I had to. I got decent grades by probably sheer luck because I didn't enjoy studying. <laughs> so, yeah. No, I knew that that right away. I remember my mom wanted me to become a vet. And I was like, no. No, not going to happen. I yeah. respect them. They are amazing. I can't do that. <laughs> so what brought you from Long Island Conservation to Rhode Island Zookeeping? So when I went to college, it was at URI. So got my degree here, got to know the conservation work up here. I just happened to fall back into a job back home because that's where I did my internships. Uh, I actually ended up out in Texas for a couple months doing uh, a seasonal position with birds out there. And then, yeah, how did I do it? Let's see. The guy I was dating, still dating, uh, lives up here. A lot of Rhode Island natives do not like to leave Rhode Island. They, there. <laughs> there are, I don't know what it is. I get I get it. I love the place, but I don't know. I love to travel. Right. So for me, it's always about, yeah, I'll move. I'll move wherever. So he also got a state uh, job. So he's a fisheries biologist here. Oh, cool. And I mean, once you usually get a state wildlife job, you don't usually try to leave that unless you really just don't want to be in the area. And for me, I did not want to stay on Long Island. Um, so how did I actually end up here? It's a couple of years. <laughs> Probably like seven years it took me to get up here. I decided one day when I was doing conservation work that I didn't necessarily love the whole government side of it. And I'd rather get more into the hands-on conservation if I could, but I didn't want to have to travel all the time and leave my family all the time. Um, my parents were sick and everything. So traveling from a different country to a different country to do different conservation work was not something I was up for. I love to travel, just didn't want it to make that my whole life. Sure. So I decided to make the switch where I knew if I got back into animal husbandry, because I had done internships uh, at the aquarium and all that, that I could potentially do keeping more hands-on with animals and then also maybe get into the conservation side of that because it's a big part of AZA zoos. So that's where I decided to make the transition from biologist to a zookeeper and animal husbandry. I contacted a friend who set me up with a seasonal position. My first time was uh, uh, down in Cape May, New Jersey at their zoo. I was there. I love the Cape May Zoo favorites <laughs> i mean the fact that they can have it by the county it's free people to get in it's a wonderful setup they have there but i was there i think for like nine months as my seasonal position then i hung out for a bit kept applying for jobs finally got a commissary position back home in stat well back home in new york but on staten island long island and staten island are separate places oh i'm aware <laughs> a lot of people aren't they think it's all part of the same. I, I have played both and they <laughs> are very different and getting to them is very different. Oh yeah. It's I have never been late loop. to a sound check or anything in my entire career except for because of the Staten Island Ferry. Oh you took the ferry. Yeah. Oh that was a choice. I mean traffic isn't much better if you didn't take the ferry. Sure. So. But that was a that was a choice that day. It was unfortunate. <laughs> yeah. yes. I'm sorry for that. Yeah. <laughs> getting to work was a it was a haul. For me, it was about two hours each direction. So Oof. it was a dedication there. So I started there as a commissary keeper. When a position opened up, I was able to move into it. And I was there for, I think, just over two years also. And then 
found I got a job at Franklin Park Zoo, so it got me moving back up to New England because nice, we were it. still together. And then when a job opened up closer to home because I live in uh, Pawtucket, I was able to get a job at Roger Williams. <laughs> Amazing. So you, okay, so you ended up here. Yes. Mainly because it's where you live, your boyfriend's here, all that stuff. Yes. But you also super care about conservation. Yes. And just happened to be at the zoo where Luperati is one of the <laughs> top conservationists in zoos in the country. That's amazing. Yeah, it is. It That's is. really cool. It, it didn't hurt that I already knew who he was before even knowing about zoo conservation in college because he worked with your eye on conservation work too. Oh, that's so cool. Yeah. yeah. I don't Lou's know. amazing. Um, that his episode is, is one of my favorites. And I, I finally got around to, to reading the Jane Goodall book where, where she talks about the work that he's done. And it just, I cheered. I threw up little touchdown hands when, <laughs> when I got to his part. I was like, woo! I, I know him. him. <laughs> <laughs> I know that feeling. <laughs> so have you, um, have you had a chance yet? And if not, do you have any plans to, to try to work on some of the, the conservation work going on here? I'm actually on both the ones on grounds. I work with both the snakes and the New England cottontails. Amazing. So yes, I had full plans immediately to get into them as soon as I could. That's so awesome. It was so cool to to go and, and see those animals when I was here. And just, it was, you know, it's funny to me because obviously most zoo goers uh, and these animals aren't on exhibit, but m most zoo goers get excited about, you know, cheetahs and lions and cool, big, charismatic species. Yes. Walking into those buildings <laughs> and seeing these incredibly endangered animals and knowing that they are a population, or in this case, two populations that are, are going to help save their species, that was special. Yeah. That's really exciting. cool. Yeah. It's, a, it's another just good feeling in general. Like, it's nice to work with the animals at the zoo. It's nice to see people's faces light up. But it's nice to have that other connection side of it uh, where it goes back to the wildlife and all that. And you're trying to do just that much more yeah no doubt and okay so i don't know i don't know how easily you can answer this but hey we can <laughs> cut um but so since you take part in the conservation yes. projects here um you know when i talked to lou about all these covid was like a baby disease and we thought we all thought we'd be out shortly and stuff so can you talk at all about how covid has impacted uh those projects um the snake project, it seems to be doing okay on its own because it's a, it's a fairly self-sufficient project, really. Like, we get to care for them and everything, but it doesn't take much interaction for us. They kind of do their own thing. Um, so that, luckily, has been pretty good. We did not do any breeding last year at all for the New England Cottontails because we were on a split shift. There was just not enough people. Our typical minimum is 16 keepers here daily, and I think we were running at maybe 12 or 13. I don't know. We were under. So we were covering extra areas. We were here longer area, uh, days. We were doing 10-hour days, so that did help. But it was just not possible, plus the communication between the sides and everything. And also, if there's any issues, there wasn't enough people to help. So we just had to put breeding on hold last year altogether. So. That is such a bummer. But it's also, I mean, you know, for anyone listening, that's not just at Roger Williams Park Zoo. No, it was that's across the board. Yeah, conservation everywhere took a huge hit. Yeah, I'm pretty year. sure nobody that's part of the New England Cottontail project did any of the breeding last year. There also wouldn't have been the manpower to get them back out into the wild. Right, yeah, that, no, so. no. Yeah, it's, it's crazy. So, yeah, it's a, it was rough because, you know, you have these animals and you want them to help, and it, there's nothing we can do at that point. So they were still cared for wonderfully, but... No, of course, <laughs> of course you took care of your population. 
population. And fortunately, bunnies are good breeders. So, yes. you know. <laughs> yes, that, they are. That helps. <laughs> yes. Cool. So we're right. trying to get back into the swing of things now. So we'll see how that goes for this upcoming year. Good. That's awesome. Um, so let's move on to um, the the keeping that you do here, the the non-conservation. I mean, it's all conservation. Yes. But um, the the more standard. So tell me what it's like. Like, how, how far in advance do you know where you're going to be working? Um, so our schedules are made Sunday through Saturday. And typically the schedule comes out late in the day on Saturday. So you might not know your Sunday schedule until the morning of, depending on what time you leave. Uh, but you never know if it's going to get changed. <laughs> so whenever there's a call out, there's shifts around. So I may be in one area, uh, but if somebody calls out and there's a need somewhere else where nobody knows, and I do, I might go there. So potentially six days in advance, I know, but I never actually expect to be in that area until I know that morning. <laughs> okay, that's fair. And um, even though you're a swing keeper, you you do have a normal like schedule, right? You're you're always here. Yes, it's my just... days off are Wednesday, Thursday every week. But perfect normal schedule as to where I'll be. No. <laughs> How many different areas are you trained in right now? Currently, I am one. Five. How many more are there? Oh, one, two, three, I think eight or nine. Whew, you were running out of fingers. I was, <laughs> yeah. I was getting worried. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I, I might even be wrong. There might be more, but I think there's eight or nine. Wow. There, okay. So. All right. That's that's cool. Um. So, what is what's the first area that you started working in when you got here? Commissary. <laughs> got Always, back into the commissary right? yeah i didn't i mean they had the need there i also already knew know a lot of commissary work from my previous position so it was kind of easy just to get me there so they just had an extra body because they were already two people down cool so um i know that at some zoos including cape may uh if you work commissary you also do get to take care of at least some species mm. uh red pandas are a commissary animal at cape mm. may uh, yeah, right. Um, but so uh, did you have any like hands-on animal at that time or are you just a, a food keeper? Just the food keeper. Um, here, commissary is usually fairly separate. Um, it's its own area. So I was there. They considered the bugs there part of the animals. <laughs> so we did take care of our crickets and our mealworms. They need to be cleaned and taken care of. So we have them. <laughs> yeah, there you go. All right. And then you upgraded a little bit. And where did you go from there? Uh, let's see. My first area, I actually think, was one of the Africa Plains runs. Um, so it's the one that has the river, Red River Hogs, Babrusa, Ravens, Udad, and occasionally the Cranes. All right. <laughs> Very everybody. cool. And then you just kept going from there? Yeah, every couple months they would start training me somewhere else. Um, after that, I believe I got the two runs in the rainforest. So there's three different runs in the rainforest. One of them's primates. That's the one I don't know. The other one is the big open area, which is birds, uh, golden lion tamarins. We've got cotton top tamarind, a bunch of sloths, a bunch. We've got four sloths. <laughs> um, and then the other run is where there's the giant river otters, the giant anteaters, the tamanduas, the flamingos. So, And we're going to pause and talk about the rainforest for a second because yeah. the rainforest here is pretty awesome oh it's a beautiful new building <laughs> it's really cool um so for people that haven't been here uh talk to me about the building a little bit and about the the kind of main area the, the big open area 
So the main open area is a free flight aviary. Oh, we also have our Hyacinth macaws in there. So they're up front. We have, the, we have these floor-to-ceiling glass windows that are they let in the UV light also to help with everything. Um, even part of the ceiling up in the front area is glass. So it is just beautiful, especially if you drive by at night and you see some of the dim lights in there. You can see a little bit. It's really pretty. Uh, we've got live plants all grown in the center section. So it is a living open aviary. Birds can build their nests. There's a stream for the ducks that are down in the, uh, we call it the sunken garden. Um, gosh, the GLTs, the golden lion tamarins are free roam in there also. Luckily they do not choose to go near the guests. We did have pied tamarins at one point that were too friendly. So we decided it was not safe for them to stay there yeah, just in case they decide to hitch a ride. Yeah, I could see that. Yeah, I um I got to spend some time with some 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 tamarins and some uh marmosets and some uh and yeah, it's um you got to be careful. I love them, yeah. but like yeah, they can they can uh they can hop on you and they are uh <laughs> mischievous. They awesome. are. They're typically, at least ours, are typically always just looking for food. Right. So, you know, with an open aviary, people walking through, if you have a pair of monkeys that are not shy and they're looking for food, strollers are a real good place for them to find snacks. That is, <laughs> so, that is true. You know, we don't want them to eat a lot of things that's not part of their diet, get sick from stuff and all, and you know, scare the guests too much. <laughs> <laughs> and that's where the sloths live as well, yes. correct? Yep. Yes. They live out there also. They get to go in and out of the inclu- uh, holding or down below, wherever they want. And uh, earlier this year, there was a baby. Yes, baby Bean. Beanie. Yes. I got to meet Bean when I was here with Lou. And Bean was like the size of a bean. Like that bean- was very oh. early on. I mean, not really. but Well, Beanie was know. a big baby. Oh. So she was bigger than most babies that we had records of. Wow, that's yeah. cool. But so still a baby. She was a big girl. Small. Yeah. <laughs> um, how, how's, how's my buddy doing? She's good. She's almost, as, I mean, not Exactly the size of mom, but she's almost, people have trouble recognizing the difference when they're not necessarily snuggled up together anymore. Wow. That's hard mom, for me to imagine. Like, I, I, I understand that. Mom no longer allows her to be carried around on her. It's a, oh, little no. too, it's a little too much extra weight at this point for her to <laughs> haul around. So when they're climbing, they're usually, she's, Beanie's just tailing mom. <laughs> That's awesome. Yeah, they're cute. And then, um, <laughs> in the same room, but in a, uh, Glass exhibit is, yes. is are the uh, the tamanduas. Yes, there are. So obviously, I have a big love of tamanduas. So do I. Um, Pretty much, you give me the smelliest animals there are. They're my favorites: tamanduas, prehensile tail porcupines, and binturongs. Yeah, they all stink, <laughs> and I love them all as well. Yeah. I'm I'm beginning to worry about both of us. Right? <laughs> um, I mean, but- I enjoy the binturong smell. I don't necessarily enjoy the porcupine smell because that's just oh it just really sticks to you but it does samandua really smell i actually don't mind i kind of like it it's a comfort smell yeah see okay so i've actually had this conversation with another keeper recently um who who uh shall remain nameless until i find out if i can drop it in here or not. <laughs> but um and we were talking about that and i was like oh i currently reek of whatever i had met that day mm-hmm. And she was like, that's a comfort smell to me. And I was mm-hmm. like, uh, it makes me want to vomit. And oh. so I did not realize this, but but tell my tell my audience a little bit about how the stinkiest things can sometimes I just know. connect. Okay. I love prehensile tail porcupines. Their smell is not comforting. It, it, to me, it's an <laughs> overwhelming smell of 
onions and body odor. And so, and especially in hotter months, once you have that smell on you and you're sweating, it gets worse. <laughs> so that's always fun. So that I don't enjoy. But I don't know, the binturong smell might be, so when I was at Staten Island, that's when I first, that's when I got to work with them. Uh, I became a primary for a six-month-old uh, female onyx, and it was the first animal I really got to train, too. So I don't know if I became comforted by it because it was my connection with her, because she was the first animal I really had that kind of experience with and got to connect with. Or if I just really like the smell. I don't know. Well, but like when you smell be... it and you know what it is, you recognize it. It's almost like a homey feeling. Sure. Well, but let's be <laughs> let's be clear here. What we're talking about now are binturongs, which smell like, to, depending yeah, on to... who you are, uh, buttered popcorn. I see. I don't smell the buttered Cheetos popcorn. I don't know. It just smells like, like binturong poop to me. Okay, <laughs> I'm like, I just know fair. what it smells. I'm like, oh, binturongs are here. Yes, <laughs> that's fair. But I do feel like that's not considered a gross scent. It yeah. is a odorific scent, yeah. but it's like. It is pleasant. Yeah, Tamanda is more of a skunky smell. Yeah, yeah. Tams and... and I don't Tamanda mind the smell of skunks, though, either, gross. so... <laughs> That's fair, yeah. I so, still love any time that anyone goes near a Tamandua or a maned wolf or uh, even some foxes. Um They'll start looking around or and be like, oh, somebody's somebody smoking a joint. It's like, oh, no, yes. y'all. First of all, y'all have some really bad weed if this is what you think it smells like. And second of yes. all, and more importantly... <laughs> um, Nah, nah, <laughs> this is much worse. It is so, yeah, it's kind of funny because I even get that question at home when there's a skunk in the area. It's like, is this skunk or is this somebody smoking outside? And it's like, that is definitely a skunk. Or, really? You thought that was a skunk? How could you think that? <laughs> like, that's yeah, there, dude, no, a clear difference to me. We are at a fish concert. There are not 20,000 skunks Skunk. here right yeah. now. I'm just saying. <laughs> I mean. Yeah, I don't. I wish I could explain the comfort smell of why I like tamandua smell. I think it's just because I love them so much <laughs> that See, it comforts I, me. Like I'm down with the like, like I love tamanduas. I have hung out with tamanduas. It is one of my favorite animals to spend time with, and I'm cool with the smell. Yes, but there's a difference between being cool with the smell and like, you know, seeing it as a comfort thing. And that is one of my favorite quirks about some keepers. I just, since yeah. I found this out, I'm fascinated. I mean, I think it's just probably, like, it has to come with, like, the love of working with the specific animals. Like, you grow to love certain things. Sure, 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 sure. Like, I don't know, maybe some people love the smell of primate poop. I do not, but I'm sure there are pe- keepers out there that, when they smell it, they're like, ooh, and it reminds them it's like a, a home feeling. Right. Because it's where you find fair. you find your home with these animals, in a way. Like, right. we are that comfortable with them and so in love with what we're doing. That it just kind of gives you that nice, warm feeling. And so the smell doesn't bother you at all. Yeah. No, I, I, get, <laughs> I get that. Again, it's it's the leap from doesn't bother to comfort that is mildly confusing me. But then also, I, I have a scar from a red panda that I brag about constantly. <laughs> and, like, it's a scar. That's not great. Most people don't brag about their scars. But nope. so I guess, I guess animals just make us do weird things. Yes. Yeah. Because we love them. We absolutely do. Yeah. <laughs> awesome. Um, so tell me about your tomatoes. Uh, so we currently have Franklin and Karina. Karina is his mother. Uh, Franklin's named after his father who has passed at this point. And they're, they're very different. Uh, Karina is, uh, actually Franklin is very much like what his father was. He is super social, super friendly, loves to be around you. Karina wants to just climb up and go to sleep. And it's fine. Like, they have their personalities. And he, that's, it works that way in the aspects of, like, he will go out and do his own thing while she sleeps all day. Like, if he wants to go out and eat, he will. He'll, like, he might try to snuggle up with her here and there now. But at this point, he is 
he's definitely self-sufficient and he is ready to go hang out with you. A keeper walks in, especially his primary. He is excited to see her and just <laughs> climbs up and everything and wants to just hang out with her. So it is, he's just the sweetest little boy. And to me, they look very different from the ones I originally worked with at Staten Island. The Staten Island ones had the very pronounced backstraps and everything, the black and the white. The ones we've worked with here so far are all very um, gray and cream toned. No real distinct markings on that aspect. Their colors are distinct from each other. Interesting. But we don't have the distinct markings. I'll have to go take another look. I'm, I'm, uh, I'm intrigued. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I, I've mostly spent time with the, uh, the Tams at uh, Cincy and okay. uh, Nashville. And they have the markings, no? Yeah. Okay, I'm like, yeah, if yeah. I remember correctly, mm-hmm. the Cincinnati especially, I've seen a bunch Eastlake, of theirs. Yeah. yeah. So I'm, I'm really curious. I mean, I've, I've, I I saw the the Tamanda was here when I was hanging out with Lou, but I, I was so focused on new baby sloth that I was kind of like, oh, hey, guys. Oh, yeah, cool. no, they do not have the dark black markings at all. Mm-hmm. And there's they're all the same species and everything, so they're all southern Tamanduas. I've looked, I've looked into it many a times. I was like, are we sure? Like, is this a big characteristic difference? But, you know, they all are, and it's just. Yeah. yeah, they can vary so much. Yeah, no, makes sense. That's really cool. And um, the the father involved in the family you mentioned past that was fairly recent, right? And he was a pretty popular animal here. Uh, he was. He was well because he was also just like Franklin is is Frankie, um, just like super social, enjoyed to be out in, with people, and would be very. He was a, he was a great exhibit animal. Like he had no problem seeing people and wanting to display himself and climb around and do the anteater thing and look for ants. Um, yeah, we lost him. I think over quarantine is when it was. So yeah. we weren't open to the public at that point. Yeah, no, I remember that. And I, re- I, I, um, yeah, I, I really, <laughs> I think one of my least favorite things about COVID, and I mean, that's a long list, mm-hmm. but is, uh, the, the animals and, and frankly, I, you know, some people that, that I lost and, and yeah. didn't get a chance to really mourn. Um, no, but we had some good things out of COVID. Oh, no. The no. flamingos were able to settle in enough, it seemed, and they had their own chick. That's great. So that happened during the quietness. So, I this mean, this podcast. Exactly. <laughs> that's amazing that this was able to come from it. Hey, I right. I found my voice during COVID also, where I started becoming more outspoken with stuff. So yeah, you have. <laughs> so let's let's go to that for a second. Sure. Uh, let's let's talk about your social media presence because <laughs> it is a uh, very present. It is, uh, and it's not really zookeeper. Uh, focused like most other zookeepers are. No, but I don't want to just focus on the zoo stuff. <laughs> oh, no, I'm just saying it's very different stuff. than a lot of zookeepers. Yeah, so, like so... most zookeepers will post, I mean, I'll post the animals I work with here and there also, and I do love them, but it's not my big focus outside of work anymore. And so my social media is not my, like that's social media for me and work are separate. Yeah, no, I totally get that. And so let's talk about, um, first of all, from how you said that, it sounds like you had to figure out a work-life balance situation. Yes. So talk to me about that a little bit. All right. So I am also different from many zookeepers where I am an extrovert. I enjoy being out in the public. I enjoy a large gatherings. I mean, not with COVID situations. That now makes me uncomfortable. But I'm a big social person. And so very early on in, when I when I knew what was happening with COVID, I realized I needed to act quickly or I was going to probably hit a real big problem with having nowhere to go. Because I was used to going out and grabbing dinner or drinks two, three, four nights a week with friends. We actively would go out, watch hockey games and everything, and just go, or go to concerts. 
Um, I would, I have no issues driving places to visit people. So when I realized I was going into lockdown, because when COVID started, I had actually just come back from a vacation. So I was put directly into two weeks of quarantine. So I, at that point, gained about 12 pounds in three weeks. <laughs> and that's not me. I'm a very active person also. So activities are now being put on hold. So I dove hardcore into health and nutrition. And through that, I also found that I, a different voice. I don't understand how necessarily it happened, but through the organization and how they promote per personal development, not necessarily professional development, like we do at jobs, personal development, listening to podcasts that not only are direct interests, but make you think differently otherwise. And it just broadened my outlook on stuff. And so my social media has transformed into uplifting, inspiring, exercise, nutrition, <laughs> And yeah, I think sustainable this is the, fashion. I, I I see you daily on on the uh, on the interwebs, and this is the first time I've seen you not in workout clothes. Ever. Yes, <laughs> I, I actually wondered if I was going to roll in here and you'd have some special uh, Roger Williams part to do, uh, you know, uh, workout outfit. I mean, maybe we'll, maybe one day we'll see. We'll work on that. <laughs> RWPZ by Lululemon, right? Right. No, Lulu Zoo. Zulu Lemon. Because <laughs> I'm Lulu. That is true. That is true. Yes. So, yeah. So, um, have you found that that really, uh, saved you in COVID? Yeah. Oh, absolutely. I mean, I thought I was a confident person before and really getting to do these things and starting to post about it to try to encourage other people to try to better themselves to me has broken me out of my shell and I've discovered how to make friends through social media, which I'd never done before. And now I'm actually really good friends with several people I've met through Instagram. Uh, several, like a bunch of them actually live in my own area at this point too. So I've met up with a couple too, which is something I would have never done before. It would be maybe if I met them at a bar or whatever, but I would have never gone on Instagram and found a random person and started having a full on conversation with that was not who I was. And now I love it. Now I reach out to random people just in case if they're looking, if it seems like they might be struggling, if I can help them, I want to, or just to give them inspiring words if I can and cheer them on, I am for it. Uh, and nutrition has become big because zookeeping is not an easy field. If you're not keeping yourself physically and nutritionally up, it's hard. I feel like it's going to be hard to do this long term. I don't want to break down. I unfortunately was a zoo hopper for a little bit, which means I got the and I started my career late. So I'm going to be doing this a lot longer if I want to be able to retire with uh, some money in the bank. And if I'm going to be doing it longer, I need to keep care take care of my body better. And that is not just exercise and it's not just eating properly. It's a combination of both. Um, I also have family history or my dad passed of heart disease. My mom had ovarian cancer. So you never know what might come down the pipeline for me that way. So if I can at least try to build myself up inspire others to build themselves up, I'm all for it. But it kind of also turned into where if I can inspire people to take care of themselves, then maybe they'll care more about the environment stuff. Like if you don't care about how you take care of yourself, how are you going to care about the animals out there? Like you might care here and there, but you're not going to understand that there's different health aspects to everything. Like planetary health is important to take care of our animals. We can't just release them back if there's nothing healthy for them out there. So if you don't care for you, why would you care for that? 
So it's kind of, I feel like it's a mutual benefit from my personal life to my work life, where if I can make others care for themselves, maybe that I can help them care for other things too. That's really cool. And that's a great goal. Uh, I love that. <laughs> so um, do you interact with the public much here? Depends on what area I'm in. <laughs> okay, but so yes, sometimes yeah. you, okay. Yeah, so, rainforest, I tend to interact more. Today I'm in ed animals where I'm taking care of them. So that's behind the scenes because the educators interact more with those animals in sure. the public. So it just depends on where I am. Okay, but it's definitely a part of your job. Mm-hmm. Okay, oh, cool, absolutely. Cool, cool. So um, I wasn't sure if, you know, swing keepers covered that side of things as well. So that's I mean, when that's you're cool. out, when you're out working with the animals and people have questions and you talk with them, I mean, we haven't done any keeper chats in a while because right. of COVID. Right. But if you're in the area when there's a keeper chat, yep, you're going to cover that. And Very cool. So um, then how does how does what you've learned on social media apply? Uh, I mean, you already talked about like the One Health idea. But beyond yes. that, in your like interactions with the public here, how, how, has, uh, what you, how has how you've changed on social media um, changed you as a interactive keeper? It changes how I talk to people about stuff. Um, learning how to talk. It's And it's still an evolution for me. I haven't quite figured it out also because every person receives things differently. Oh, yeah, totally. So it's hard necessarily to know who they are from the questions right away, but it just gives you a more compassionate way and you have to kind of read their face a little bit better or just the way they ask the questions as to how to respond um, and how much depth they might want to the answer you're giving them. Sometimes they just want a simple answer and that's fine. They're already here visiting. That's great. Um, but it more so will translate onto when I do post pictures on my social media and people have comments there is probably going to be more of how it translates, how I talk to them. Cause that's when I can encourage them more to understand because you're bringing extra people in from the out. Cause a lot of people that are already coming to zoos do care already. That's why they're here. People right. that don't care about the zoos aren't coming. So it's kind of trying to bridge that gap. Although I will tell you as a person who is, at zoos, sometimes as many hours a week as a keeper, almost. <laughs> um, but on the other side of the exhibits, yes. <laughs> I don't think there is a single day that I go to the zoo that I don't hear at least one family coming through and saying that zoos are terrible and complaining about it. And I'm like, yo, you are a family of five and this place ain't cheap. Why are you giving $100 plus lunch money and all that stuff? To uh, to an organization that you you don't agree with, but you know, so it's I change my mind is what they're saying. Yeah, and make I, me see something different. I think it's really important for keepers to remember that because I've heard this from a lot of people that you know I, I want to reach the people who don't believe in zoos yeah. and stuff, but they're not coming. And and a lot of people have told me that's one reason they love my podcast so much is that hopefully someone will search and and you know hear the tales that aren't going to a zoo. Yeah, but I can tell you as a person who is out there a lot, there are a whole lot of people probably in this zoo right now who are like weirdly anti-zoo, but because they don't really get it, but like their kids wanted to go see, you know, a giraffe. And so they're here and, and you can have a big impact. I have had impacts. I have sat and talked to people, uh, you know, I hear over here something and, and I'm, Oh no, this, they, they didn't. I will say I probably have more. I do have a lot of conversations when I go visit zoos a lot of times with the public. I am. Yeah. (laughs) So a lot of times I feel like that is a big part of it at being a keeper and we go visit other zoos and then you, cause it's sometimes almost easier being a, another patron mm-hmm. talking to another patron where uh, people might just expect that from you. Cause you're a zookeeper. Of course you're going to say these mm-hmm. things, but if you have somebody else telling you this, that is just an, another zoo goer, 
maybe it means something else. Oh yeah, a lot of times I'll start, you know, I'll start defending something or or just share, you know, no, that's not a cheetah. It's, it's an amber leopard. Uh, there there are somewhere between twenty and eighty of those left in the wild total, and uh, and. The, you know, the first question is, and it's sometimes suspicious, you know, mm. especially if it's, you're talking about like anti-zoo stuff, you know, oh, do you work here? No, I don't. I'm just kind of, uh, I'm well studied in this. And now I'll say, you know, I'm a conservation educator, but um, no, I'm an independent party. I just, I just happen to know this stuff. And, and then you're right. It does, you know, but I do think that as a, uh, as a keeper, you know, I, I just think it's good to keep in mind um, that just because someone's at a zoo mm-hmm. doesn't mean that they... They want to be there. Yeah, or just that they get it. <laughs> or support it. I actually want to find, like, a psychologist that will do, like, a real study on why people go to places and then <laughs> feel bad about the animals or feel bad. And, I'm again, I'm talking good zoos. I'm not talking... Yeah, no. There are places to go and feel bad about the animals. And, and yes. we all know that, and it causes a lot of problems for yes. good zoos. But, like... I would love to know why you spend $120 and then buy yeah. five meals that are, let's, let's say, I'm I not wish the I could understand and, that. I don't, yeah. Don't have that kind of money to spend on something I don't like or enjoy. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I know. If this podcast gets big enough, I'm going to like do a study with some people because yeah. I'm, I'm honestly intrigued by it. Hey, more research, the better. Yeah. Absolutely. It helps get the word out there, make us understand it, how we can communicate better. So, absolutely. all for that. So I'm curious, um, and this is, this is slightly off topic, but uh, yeah. I know that you are a fan of the podcast, yes. and I appreciate that I have seen you promoting it in, in various places. Thank you for that. How did you find the podcast? Um, my friend Jake was on it, oh, and I saw him post. Yeah, I know Jake, and I saw that. And that's when I was like, all right, let's take a listen. You know, I so. will tell you the funniest <laughs> thing. I um, when I started, uh, you know, asking people to do the podcast and stuff, Jake was the first zookeeper that I spoke to. He is probably the most inspiring zookeeper I've ever met. I had no clue who he was. I I was like literally just searching for like zookeeper mm-hmm. on Instagram. And Jake was super responsive and super cool. Oh yeah. And it turns out that he knows literally every human that has ever gone near a zoo. He literally knows every patron out in the zoo right <laughs> now. It, it's insane. I've never seen anything like it. And him being my first episode, I think saved my podcast because early on it's really hard to get traction. Yeah. But then he promoted it and suddenly, like, the zoo world was like, oh, this is a thing, and it's real, <laughs> and if Jake's okay with it, I'm okay with it. And I had no clue. Because it was the biggest stroke of luck. He a huge voice. It is amazing. And the way he talks about stuff and the way he – his – I mean, I know we're all passionate behind it, but he the way he vocalizes it is just an inspiration in general. Like, we all should try to be like that and how he's able to communicate and – the amount of details he knows, like, he just knows so many little details about so many little things, and that's great. Like, most, like, we know usually pieces about what we're doing, or for me, it's pieces because I float, so it's kind of hard to keep up with all of it. But I feel like he knows, just, like, all the little details, and he just has the best memory for it, clearly, if he knows all the patrons, too. <laughs> but, like, and how he presents it on social media is great, and the he came to a conference a couple years ago. I got to see him there, and it was just it's been it's been fun knowing him. <laughs> yeah, no, he's, he's a cool guy, and I, I literally I don't know if this would have gotten where it is. I don't know if I would have gotten frustrated and given up if I didn't. You know, my numbers were, but Jake Belair just yeah. made it happen. You he, know, good. Times. He is a force to be reckoned with. <laughs> yeah, it's and that's one thing that I love about this community. There are just little people peppered all around. There's there's who knew. When I was running through the zoo here on my first visit, and I only had like an hour to do the whole zoo, that uh, there was a guy who's super into conservation and is in one of Jane Goodall's books that was in an <laughs> office 
10 feet away from me, you know, at one point. And and who knew that that some some dude down in Nashville who who has social media things about watching him bake and stuff like that oh my goodness. also just <laughs> happens to be, you know, amazing at building connections and, and helping grow things and, and is passionate and amazing. And, and who, you know, that is that is the thing that blows my mind about zoos day after day. They're amazing people all over. And it's all like no one's famous. No one's rich. No one's. No, we don't do it to be rich. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, it's it's pretty fascinating to me to, yeah. to watch that. Yeah, if we're as much as we're not a small community, we're a small community where we tend to. If we don't know you, we know somebody who probably knows you. <laughs> oh yeah, I do tend to laugh. I, I I always think you know this podcast is going super well, mm-hmm. and all I need to do is is be a jerk to one keeper and it's dead. And I would never do that. I'm not a jerk to begin with, and also like that's clearly not the purpose of the podcast. Right. But but I literally think like if I rub somebody the wrong like, way. Like and not in a not in a vindictive way. But if I was yeah. genuinely a problem to you or to to a zoo or whatever, I would never get another guest. Like instantly. <laughs> nope. It would be like the emails would just stop coming back. Like <laughs> you're done now. And I, I, I think that's awesome because it is a great it's a good feeling, right? Yeah, it is. Yeah, and it's so cool being inside it now, you know. But at the same time, I am always I, – I, yeah, I do have that thought of like – Uplifting feelings are good. That's yeah. what I'm about. I love it. I love it. So um, are there any conservation organizations that you'd like to give a shout-out to? Uh, well, my love for binturongs. I always follow the ABC, which is Arcticus Binturong Conservation. They're fun to watch. I love them. There's just so few for no, binturongs, I so I enjoy what they do. They're my biggest thing. They are. They are. Everything's in French. And yes, it's it's so. like see translation. Yes, always. <laughs> I know. It's like I wish I could participate with you more, but I do not know an ounce of French. <laughs> yeah, I know. I'm so. I, I I've thought about trying to have them on the pod, but. It's all in French. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. But it's interesting that the biggest binturong conservation is French based. <laughs> it really is, yeah. Because there's they're not in France, so nope, nope, <laughs> nope, super not that. But uh yeah, okay. So yeah, uh A B conservation. Yeah, is, that's yeah. my biggest one. I mean I, I like I love our conservation work here, but I don't know. That's my main go to. No, that's great. <laughs> I love it. And you know what? Since since you're a huge Binturong fan, and since you know I'm a huge Binturong fan, yes. and since I love the Binturongs here, tell me your Binturong situation here right now. Uh, we currently just have our male and our female, Poppy and Ricky. And how how old are they? Oh, I'm not Ish. sure. They're uh, like they've been I around for a say, while. Right? Well, yeah. So since Poppy had her babies two years ago, oh, she might be like five now, maybe four. I. Unfortunately, since they don't work with them, I don't know their details of age. Ricky's been here longer than Poppy right. has, though. He's a bit older. We, I think at first they were, weren't sure how that worked, but it worked out fine. Yeah, it worked out very <laughs> Do they still have a breeding rec, do you know? Um, they, yeah, they're still allowed to breed. Uh, they attempted this year and uh, didn't go as planned, but okay. you never know. Yeah, no. That's hey, fine. animals tell, do what they want to do, so. Awesome. Well, hopefully there are more kids because they are oh, freaking yeah. adorable. I mean, I think we're I think we were okay with ha- them having three. That's a lot to take care of for the keepers, so no that problem. was okay. Especially three with next the time. personalities that those three had. Yeah, I was up here. Well, I mean, I, I could not get over. I can't them. imagine like if they have more, they're probably just as bold though, because you, you you know pack mentality. You're safe. <laughs> <laughs> so, and I think they can have up to almost nine. I don't know. That I know of any places that had that, but I vaguely remember when I was doing my research way back when, when I was working with them that they could have potentially up to nine. Goodness. 
goodness. Yeah, that's a lot. Remember, when I went down and saw the the kits at uh, Nashville a couple years ago, and they uh, they were still in the nursery when I saw them. Um, and that's where Lucille, who's at uh, Cincy famously now, uh, was from that litter. So I, oh, I, I didn't have, know she was from there. I have baby <laughs> pictures of her like being bottle fed that I just that's adore. Um, but uh, I'm trying to remember. There, I have pictures. I'll have to look. There were five or six in that litter. Wow. And that's just a lot of yeah. binturongs and a lot of binturong cuddles. Yeah, was, that is a lot to raise yeah, for yeah. people or mom. But I also know <laughs> that they very quickly, like, as soon as they were safe to move out, some of them moved out. Like, <laughs> I think Colleen said that she got Lucille, like, six or eight weeks after she was born. It was quick. Yeah, the ones from Staten Island were bottle-raised also. So I think, And I think they came in pretty young like that, too. So Yeah, makes sense. Very cool. And then it is time for... It's time now, don't you know? We've come to the end of the show. But there's one tale left to go. You're gonna laugh and say, oh no. It's time for the Rossifari poop story. Hit me. <laughs> so, mine is not a poop, but a pee story. Well, I was on vacation, actually, visiting our friend Jake, and we got to meet the Binturongs, and I didn't even know it until we left the area, and we were walking, and my friend told me there was something in my hair, and it was crystallized urine. (laughs) (laughs) And she, and for me, it wasn't actually a bad thing, because I told you Binturongs are a comfort for me, and so she's like, you want to go to the bathroom and wash it out? I'm like, nope. I'm going to sport this all day until we go home, because I'm okay with this right now. I just got to meet another Binturong, and I am on cloud nine. So, yeah, I know it's not the typical poop story. Poop story. But for me, that's the one thing I can really remember that No, it's you walking around purposefully with pee on you. (laughs) Most of my poop stories are like, and then I walked around with poop on me all day without realizing it. Yours is like, I saved their crystallized pee. So it was a pretty good poop story. Yeah, I, I mean, I couldn't help it. It was in my hair, and I was like, like, I was not sad. You still have it, don't you? You I still have a little vial of crystallized No, no, if, if you're telling me you see me in my workout clothes all the time, I certainly hope I shower. <laughs> valid, valid, awesome. Cool, well, thank you so much for doing this. This has been fun. Absolutely, thank you for having me. So... After that interview, we went and we did a thing. Lauren set it up where I was able to go and hang out with the Matchy's Tree Kangaroos at Roger Williams Park Zoo. Now, if you have listened to this podcast at all, you know that tree kangaroos are one of my big four as far as favorite species go. And up until this point, we're the only of the big four that I have not gotten to actually meet and hang out with. But that is no longer the case as Morobi and LaRue and I have become very good friends. Now, I was told when I went back there that the odds were that Morobi would get along with me just fine, but that LaRue would probably stay away from me. And she did. At first. But sure enough, my wonderful, charming personality, coupled with the huge cup of Cheerios that I was given by her keeper quickly brought LaRue down to hang out with me as well. And actually, she spent a ton of time with me. We became buds. This isn't the best audio you'll ever hear, but here is a little bit of that first hang. Hey! <laughs> <laughs> she won't hesitate. <laughs> Just a girl. She's one. very gentle, though, with it. <laughs> and sometimes she's like, if you... If, she, if it's a little further away, she'll put her hand and take a handful. It's really cute. She's like, oh. 
actually got along with him anymore. He's never cool. I'm stepping your butt. Bye. And just to clarify there, the crunches you heard were LaRue, and the butt sniffing was not me, but Morobe came over and was sniffing her butt. Um, I promise it wasn't me. I, I do. Anyway, y'all, getting to meet those tree kangaroos was an absolute amazing experience, and I am so thankful to Lauren and Corey and their keeper, Mac, for helping me out, giving me the time, and... Uh, tolerating my squealing and uh, probably spending way too long with those just ridiculously amazing animals. Remember, y'all, you can check out Roger Williams Park Zoo online, rwpzoo.org, or at rwpzoo on Facebook and Instagram. Now, I gotta go work on some music for my show that's opening tomorrow, but first, y'all can listen to the Stydirk. The Rossafari Podcast is produced, hosted, and engineered by John Rossi. Editing and fact-checking by John and Dr. Zoe Vesley-Gross. Our theme song is Sevens by Nathan Burke, performed by Nathan and John. Interrupting John theme and additional voices by Taylor Isaac Gray. You can reach John directly on Instagram and Facebook at Rossafari or by email at rossafaripod at gmail.com. Rossafari is part of the Daydreamer Media Network. Now, stop listening to me and go visit a zoo.